0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today.
2: This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is Amy Reinhardt, the Senior Product Manager of AI Strategy for the Associated Press. Before joining AP, Amy served as the Deputy Director of First Draft's New York Bureau, where she helped journalists and newsrooms navigate the myths and disinformation during the 2018 and 2020 US election cycles. Amy has also worked at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Today's conversation focuses on integrating AI and automation in journalism at AP and their initiatives to support local newsrooms experimenting with AI tools. Amy, welcome to Newsroom Robots. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So Amy, you know, when I think about AI's early integration into journalism, it's always about AP's automation of the corporate earning reports in 2014. That always comes to mind, and that's been mentioned quite a few times on the podcast already. That was really a significant step in demonstrating the potential of AI and automation in the newsroom. And it's nearly a decade now since that automation was brought in. And I'm interested in knowing how is the AP expanded the use of AI and automation since then? And where is it on its current AI journey right now?
1: Yeah, so I think we look back, it was nine years ago, it was in 2014, where AP started using earnings reports, the data given from the, or distributed from the, from the stock exchange to make earnings reports automated and editors set those templates. And so there were humans in the loop and at the very end to, to check, but, you know, we went from doing 300 earnings reports uh, written by humans to 3000. And there is research that shows that by doing that, we moved the market, like that companies that had never been written about before suddenly were, able to be searched by Google. And and so people would find these companies and then start thinking about investing. So that was not the intention of it, but that is some of the consequences. And, and also as a consequence, you know, people, journalists at AP were able to do more interesting work, you know, like to do analysis pieces around a, a sector rather than just the earnings report. So just to say that that there was a lot of good results from that, and we continue to do that work. We've also experimented with doing minor league baseball sports in the same way. And again, using that templated, very steady, very safe version of AI, and it's called natural language generation. So just generating something built with very reliable content. So column A in the spreadsheet is always what column A is expected to be, column B, column C, and so on. So again, a very steady version of artificial intelligence. And, and you know, there are people in the industry who quibble around, is it artificial intelligence? And I would say, yeah, I would call it, sometimes I call it baby AI because we were just learning. We were really in our infancy um, and it's grown so much. And so, yeah, that's really sort of the genesis of where AP started. I mean, we've done a lot of with AI work through similar segments of AP as well. So, you know, AP, like a lot of large news operations, is really grappling with what generative AI might mean. And I don't think anyone has an answer for that we are looking for those answers. And and in, in many ways, one thing I think that's been great about technology throughout its history is it brings departments together that don't ordinarily talk. So when what I mean by that is that AP, when I go to a meeting about AI strategy, it's someone from every department, you know, and it's people who have a different take on this and we need to be informed whether it's the legal department or the marketing department or the news department or, or product All of us are coming together to think, how is this going to disrupt my part of the news value chain? And what are our limits? What are our experiments? What are we learning? So we are definitely in a learning growth curiosity phase. And for that reason, we are looking currently at working on shoring up our translation work image identification within a video and you know for keyframes for video and we'll see where we get with with those projects but those are those are already stuff that we've already tried to put forward and we're going to move those projects forward we just instituted Merlin in our search so search is also now uh, generated by artificial intelligence so where we think it makes sense for AP, and our customers, because remember, AP is a not-for-profit cooperative, we answer to our shareholders who are 3,500 newsrooms. So the newsrooms that we, who we listen to are members who are concerned about generative AI being put into the wire. And so we're, we're hearing that and we're, we're learning with them and haven't really deployed anything with generative AI yet because we're very much experimenting.
2: So currently a lot of the experiments are focusing on generative AI search within the AP's archives. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, so the, so that's the Merlin search and and yeah, and, it, and it's, our customers <laughs> spoke loudly and clearly, we can't find content on apnews.com. Ap well, now they can. And so it's being able to index things much better than what we've had in the past. But that's, you know, again, anything that we implement has to make sense for AP and it has to, and by that, I mean, it has to fit within AP standards and also AP's mission. And our mission is really to be that center center hub for other newsrooms that maybe don't have resources for tools for technology to be on the ground in Ukraine to be you know across you know the tech sector in San Francisco but they want that information so that's been our mission since the foundation and we'll continue to do that yeah and it's interesting
2: how you've been looking at automation and that really helped free up journalists time to go more in-depth reporting and so now with generative ai talking about writing stories and all of that how has the approach and strategy been within the newsroom towards the potential of generative ai to help with like summarizing information writing how has the newsroom been looking at it
1: well i mean again we're we're all experimenting right now we're just seeing what's what's available i think summarization holds a lot of promise i think generative ai as many of the headlines read is largely unreliable and it and it's confidently wrong and those things are true If you're using it for its knowledge base, but if you're using it for its language capacity, it's much stronger. So what I mean by that is if I'm a reporter at a very small newsroom, we're under-resourced, I just wrote my story and now I have to summarize it. I think I would put that story into... Something like ChatGPT, and ask it to summarize it, and then send that, you know, send that over to the editor to see. But it's, I would review it myself to make sure that, that it got it. But I think it operates much better in a receivership mode rather than an like then getting it from ChatGPT, like write me a story. I think. I hope we're never in that space. I think the news outlets that have tried to use generative AI have fallen on their face pretty hard already. And so I don't think I don't think we're there yet. And I think, you know, maybe the job categories that grow because of generative AI are editor roles because we're going to need people to really go through each line, each word to make sure it's what you really intended to say
2: yeah the technology will really need to be complemented and kind of augmented with that human editor and that work that comes about and all of this is really making me think more about the risk model that you are thinking about when applying any kind of ai into ap's products how do you analyze the different aspects of risk that could be brought in and especially with generative ai how do you move forward in building products there
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to test, right? My colleague Ernest Kung and I uh, were working on a local news AI project. We have five projects in development, and we were testing out generative AI for some of these projects. One of the projects, we are going to use generative AI for the transcription because Whisper, which is an API from OpenAI, I don't know if there's enough AIs in there (laughs) uh, (laughs) to keep straight, But we just got better results than other transcription services, and we tested that against human transcription. And so we felt really confident that not only is the price right, because OpenAI has shrunk the prices for its GPT-3 and 3.5 APIs, that it just was better than the the other ones that we had tested. Now, we were also looking at, could we use generative AI for our Puerto Rico project, or a project in Puerto Rico around news summaries, in particular for hurricanes? And- we experimented with it. It was like, we're not sure what we're going to get every time. And with hurricane information, because it is life and death, we have to be sure. So we are going to relay, rely on our foundational model with with using natural language generation. So we will use that tried and true method of spreadsheet. You know, column A is the wind speed. Column B is the, the water rising, that kind of stuff, because we need it to be exact. Um, same too with the police blotter project that we're working on where it will take it will take uh, blotter items and put them into uh, a format that is a story a small a small news nugget i'll call it and again we tested that could we use generative ai and the answer was well we could, but the results are mixed. And for for newsrooms, we can't have results that are mixed. We have to have it reliable every time. So again, we will rely on natural language generation. And so we were testing those out. And and you know, we were given a Knight foundation grant to do this work. And it gave us a two-year runway to do exactly this. Test it out. What works better? Is it too dangerous? Is it too, you know, is it too risky? And what are the results? You know, like I said, for the transcription, the results were better. So we're gonna use it. And where situations where the technology is better, we'll use the better technology. Yeah, you've touched upon the AP local news initiative. There's been
2: a lot of work that you've been doing over this two years that it's now, I believe, expiring in August of this year. Could you talk more about the initiative and how it's been helping local newsrooms?
1: Yeah. So it was a two year Knight Foundation grant fund, and it was meant to assess where local newsrooms were in terms of AI readiness. And what does that mean? You know, do they have they already adopted tools with artificial intelligence in it? are they aware of those tools and are they skeptical of those tools? Where are they? And so we did a survey and it was 32 questions um, and it went to local news leaders. We got almost 200 local news leaders to take this. It was across all formats. We got somebody from every state to take this. So we felt like we had really good representation. And a lot of the um, newsrooms came back saying that we think, yeah, this could help remove really tedious tasks from the staff who remains in the newsroom room. So, you know, all newsroom staffs have been cut and they were excited at the prospect that maybe they could get one more tedious task off the desk of the people who are there. So with that project, we had all this Rich information, and so we we decided to write a report. And we felt like the the report would be helpful for us to, for us to like what do these numbers mean? We also had, with the help of students at Medill um, and the night Lab in, at Northwestern, we did 25 interviews with these local news leaders, and that's where like that's where some of the the stories came out. Where it's like I, you know, our content management system is patched together. Um, we've had three content management systems in the past year you know, all of these things, all of these aches and pains where because, you know, journalists have enforced into the position of being technologists, and guess what? They're only good at journalism. <laughs> so a lot of mistakes have been made, and that's, that's not entirely their fault. I think that we've been put in such an awkward spot. So my hope is that tools like these can get newsrooms out of the business of figuring out tools and tech that they need and putting AP back into the center of being able to deliver those tools that we think that would be helpful for them. So right now,
2: a lot of the work that you're doing currently, part of the initiative is focusing on helping these five newsrooms develop their AI projects. Can you talk to me more about that? How, what's the main goal that each newsroom is really focusing on and how did they go about incorporating AI into it?
1: So we did a training course about a year ago. And after the training was done, um, and it was speaking to the knowledge and interest knowledge deficits and the interest that people had from the survey and so uh, we built this online course and after that we opened up a pitch process so we we said send us what you got and we got 43 submissions which was great I will say none of them were like oh my gosh I've never heard of something like that before they were all pretty common in fact we got five police blotter item submissions you know five newsrooms want that and it's like that is clearly a need clearly a need and that we can certainly attempt to address that. And and this was before, you know, GPT had already been released, but I think people were made more aware of it, obviously, through chat GPT. So this was like eight months before all of that hit the cultural awareness of of generative AI. So just to say, we weren't sure if we could deliver on that promise for the police blotter item, because one of the reasons why why a tool doesn't exist is because there's been such a variance of data, uh, data points, like people get people get the police bladder items through a wire basket on the the shelf in the office of the police department still. You know, people also have it called in. There's also CSV files and PDFs and Word documents and all of these different ways that this information is delivered. And because of that variance, we haven't been able to create a tool. Generative AI can resolve some of that variance and make sense of the disparate data. And so, for that, like I mentioned earlier, for the Brainerd Dispatch in Minnesota, we will develop automated police blotter items through natural language generation. So very tried and true and tested. We will also do something similar for Elvocero in Puerto Rico around, it doesn't sound similar, but it's, it's for weather-related reports. You know, I would say that the weather-related reports, the police blotter items, the AP's earnings reports, all of those things are natural language generation. And once you have a template, you can use it for lots of other things. You could use it for recipes if you wanted, for example. So there's lots of different ways to to make that happen. And so for Elvisero in Puerto Rico, we are going to be using uh, natural language generation. And, you know, we're working with student development teams on these um, at universities. So in Missouri, the University of Missouri, we're working with the comp side department. For Puerto Rico, we're working with uh, Northwestern development team. And this has been a great way to, for a lot of things, it's it's kept the cost low on these projects, but also it's given students, you know, a real project, a project that is going to be used. And for students, they love that. They hate building a bridge to nowhere and not getting any feedback. And so for a lot of these, for a lot of the students, they're getting, you know, a toe or a foot in the door into a newsroom and some insights on what is what's needed and how and how newsrooms work and contend with the amount of information that they're dealing with. So we also are working with Michigan Radio and Northwest, the, another Northwestern team um, on a project called Search Minutes. And that takes, it already takes links from YouTube and Vimeo and transcribes those. And the component that we'll add onto it is we're shifting the transcription tool to OpenAI's Whisper. And we will do keyword identifications and then uh, pings and alerts to journalists if they're looking for something uh, specific. Like, for instance, if they're looking... For um, if a stop sign was mentioned at a particular intersection, you know they can look for that um, and get alerted to that, so that they can report on those. So that I think holds a lot of promise. We think that could scale to like school board meetings and other places. So I think like that holds a lot of promise. I know that there was an AI tool that is doing it from start to finish completely, and I. I'm glad that for our project, there is a real human in the loop who is discerning between what is putting things in context and discerning what is what is useful information for the public to know and and how that fits into the larger society for that coverage area. And this could be something that could be
2: used for anything with like YouTube videos, Vimeo videos and expanded throughout from there on. Right.
1: Yeah. So anyway, and, you know, because of COVID, you know, these pub- these meetings that used to be in person were taking place online and it's a requirement. It's the law in most states to have open meetings. And so this is this fits that requirement. And so if a state doesn't have something like this, especially after COVID, it, it would be surprising because it's supposed to uh, allow the public to access. So so I guess that's one good thing that came from COVID, <laughs> possibly. The other two projects, one is with WFMZ in Pennsylvania, and involves creating a sorting mechanism for the hundreds of emails that they receive on the assignment desk. And AI will determine if there's a credible news event and add it to the coverage planner. So again, we're working with the CompSite Department at Missouri on this. We're excited about that development. Our last project is with KSAT-TV in San Antonio. Um, we'll work on composing basic digital stories from video interviews and the features selected by M- So the AI will summarize the videos and a content item is automatically added to their CMS. And we're working with Stanford on developing that project.
2: Wow, that's quite a lot of innovative AI products that you're working on. And so the way I'm seeing it is like two projects are focusing more on like the natural language generation, the baby AI that you were referring to. And then two are.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
2: More of like looking at videos, transcribing them, summarizing them and helping like journalists and newsrooms to be able to query that data.
1: Yeah. And and, um, Ernest Kong has been my counterpart on uh, the local news AI. He has been the driving force behind getting these products ready for market. Like he he will have MVPs for these by the end of August. We will also have case studies so that we can tell you all the aches and pains that happen and all the good stuff too, so that people know what they're getting into when they're trying to build something. And we will also open source the code on this so that newsrooms can use it as is or can build on top of it to make it even better. But, you know, that was part of the night uh, requirement that more people can use it. And I I know that for some newsrooms, the second somebody mentions GitHub, they're already out of the game. But we're, we're hoping that maybe they can, you know, tap a local university for that brain power to make it customized for their newsroom. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And the fifth project that you had mentioned with WFMZ TV, I found that really interesting to kind of reduce the workload for assignment editors being able to just extract what is and classify what new story might be something that could be worked on. I'd be interested more in learning about how is that data model kind of being trained and how are you looking at sometimes bias that might creep up on deciding whether a new story should be covered or not?
1: Yeah, I mean, people at WFMZ are training this, so every model has to be trained. So if somebody wants to use the code base for this project for their newsroom, they need to know that they'll be starting from scratch in terms of identifying a whitelist of emails. So WFMZ, they have somebody going through and saying, oh, yeah, we know Sally who runs the community events, so we trust her and we trust her information, so she will be whitelisted and her information will be created into the planner. But for instance, if there's something that is particularly spammy, maybe it's a a PR agency that just, you know, just sends stuff to them randomly, they can identify it as, uh, you know, no. So there's three buckets. There's yes, no, and maybe. And I think for a lot of newsrooms, sometimes there's only one big bucket, which is the email address. And people look into that email when they can. So that builds in a lot of redundancies. People aren't sure who's looked at what. Um, has anybody gotten back to them? And after a while, it just becomes this really tedious task, which w- is what we are hoping to eliminate with this project. So, you know, in terms of bias, that's a very good question. You know, it's how things are trained. And that's how you see bias creep up in AI all the time, is that people, you know, who are programming it, only see a certain slice of the world or, or slice of life. And, and a lot of data and information online is really focused on a white Western experience. So that's frustrating. And bias in AI is true. And it's something that, again, if we have more diverse newsrooms, people in that newsroom can hopefully identify something as biased and speak up, though I hate always putting that burden on people of color to do. But we're even gender, if it's a, if it's a, a male, female, genderized problem. So it's just something we all have to be vigilant about and know that we all have blind spots. And unfortunately, that will be represented in whatever product we use. Yeah. And I think it's a
2: crucial role that we'll have to be playing as well as we develop AI and being aware of all of these biases. Now, switching gears a bit, a little bit, I kind of am really very interested. You've been working with a lot of local newsrooms, hearing a lot about how they've been using AI. Where have you been seeing some key areas in which local newsrooms have been experimenting with AI and say generative AI more specifically?
1: Yeah. You know, I do think this is a small newsrooms moment, if there ever was one for technology. And what I mean by that is they don't have to ask corporate for approval. They don't have to go through 10 different departments to get something pushed through. They have every reason and advantage to experiment with something and generative AI is very user-friendly. Like people can program it without being a programmer. So like this is the moment for local news. And I think what we're seeing now um, is inspiring and, and the real innovation I think is going to come at the local level and work its way up to larger newsrooms. So one of my favorite people in this space, his name is Hank Sims. He's the editor and chief technologist at the Lost Coast Outpost, which is in... Northern California. And he does simple automations with something like QuakeBot, which explains or identifies when there has been an earthquake in the area. And it was sort of scary when we were looking at it just today, that there has been a small tremors all week in his area. And, and so it's he said that he can tell that, that there has been a large large-ish earthquake by the amount of people who go to that page because people in that community really rely on that information. Um, And they've come to rely on it because Lost Coast Outpost is so good at delivering it. Then he also does things all the way through GPT-3, like summarizing meeting agendas. And then he also gives the option of reading that meeting agenda summary as like a pirate or as a poem. And that to me is a really great use of technology because it's fun. You know what I mean? It's not all so serious. And and I really appreciate the joy that comes when you see something like, hey, I want to read the meeting minutes as a pirate. So I think it may not be the most useful of things, but it certainly is uh, a delightful um, example. Neiman Lab featured about a month ago a guy from Virginia, Scott Broderick. He's the founder of Virginia-based media company Local News Now. And he wanted to launch a newsletter, But he didn't have people to staff it. So he thought, well, can I use a series of chat GPT protocols to make a newsletter um, every morning? And he did. And he was very careful to say in the article, I am not a programmer. I just strung this stuff together and wanted to see if I could do it. And now he has a newsletter. And he said, um, you know, there were at the time 100 subscribers. He said, once I hit a thousand, I may think about resourcing this with a human. You know, the interesting thing about that is just a year ago in our free online course, we featured automated newsletters. And, you know, some of those systems are like $800 a month. So for local newsrooms, that is just a non-starter. Anything over like 50 is too much sometimes. And so what Scott has done is real, bringing real innovation to his newsroom and bringing something that's really cost effective. So I think, you know, again, as I mentioned, I think this is the moment for small local newsrooms and they are leading the way on what is possible with this technology.
2: It's interesting about Scott's uh, example as well. He's joining us on the podcast to talk a lot more about some other innovations, too, that he's been working on. And so that's coming up. And with all of these local newsrooms that are trying to experiment with GPT technology and not having the technologists in their newsrooms right now, what would you say is really that low-hanging fruit that's possible for them to just kickstart their AI adoption journey?
1: Yeah, I think thinking of through the news value chain, the news gathering, production, distribution, and business operations, like where are the pain points or where are the complaints? You know, people, when you ask somebody, how can I fix something? They're like, oh, I, I don't know. But if you're like, what annoys you every day? It's like, oh, I've got a, I've got a list. I can't tell you, you know, where to start with this list, but I've got a long list of annoyances. So I think that is a really good place to start is to try and tackle one annoyance through one of the news one piece of the news value chain to see what is possible and what what might be needed for your newsroom. I think if you're talking specific tools, if this then that is a great process automation tool that people can test out. Transcription is really low hanging fruit and uh, for anybody who remembers the cassette days with the foot pedal, trying to go back and forth to to see what was the exact word, you'll be so amazed and relieved. Now, transcription doesn't get it right all the time, but I do think it's it gets you about 80% of the way there. And if you're a journalist who relies on audio recordings for your notes, this is for you. So I think transcription also came up as the number one tool that most newsrooms uh, wanted to use. You're talking about the distribution of news. I'm quite interested in knowing how do you
2: see really generative AI changing the way we distribute news in the future? Are you seeing with like the chatbot area and like sort of generative search coming about quite a bit? Where are the opportunities or maybe challenges we'll be facing in the distribution of news?
1: I think in the next six to 12 months, search is going to fundamentally change because of generative AI. And how it will change is what we're already kind of seeing is that you ask a search engine a question and it comes back with a paragraph and some links below it. And we all know that once links are further down the page, fewer people click on it. And, you know, when we surveyed uh, local newsrooms a year and a half ago, you know, it was clear that they, you know, half of their referrals came from Facebook and half of their referrals came from search. And, Facebook has stopped, you know, prioritizing news in its speed. So that has plummeted for um, newsrooms. Search is about to do the same thing. And so it, you know, instead of building other platforms up, newsrooms need to build their own platforms. And so I really think having an app is more important than ever. Having a podcast, maybe, you know, to, to generate your own content. Newsletters, I think, are going to be essential. And newsletters that are specific to your audience interests. And just making sure that you are driving people to your website and that you are the driver. It is clear that social platforms are unreliable. It is clear that search And its results will be unreliable. So we need to have a better plan for moving forward. And I think one of those plans is to build your own network and make sure that people are finding your information. So taking back
2: control of how people are finding that information directly from us rather than getting it through like another search or intermediary service like Facebook or social media platforms.
1: Exactly. It's like, why build these platforms up for free on our backs without, you know, and then not even getting referred to it. It's like it's it's those days are done. You know, like we need to come up with our own plan and our own trajectory so that we can kind of take back control. And I feel like maybe this is the moment, you know, newsrooms have are still spinning out over the Web. And that has been a reality since the late 90s. So let's move forward with this and start to see that none of these things are going away. They're only going to become more important. And how are we going to stay important into the lives of audiences who have a million other things to look at and read and and consume? We have to make a better case for ourselves. Exactly. And like talking about what
2: audiences are consuming and reading with generative AI coming into the mix, a lot of more of like content mills coming up to just create content very easily, which is capable right now. The copyright issue is something that I wanted to talk to you about with AP being able to produce so much of having archives of images, videos, and text, the capability of generative AI to mimic something that's written in AP style and all of those different copyright issues. How concerned is the AP about all of these issues? And what is your approach towards that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, AP produces 2000 articles a day, 3000 photos a day, you know, in comparison, the New York Times, which is a member of AP and in a wonderful organization, they produce 200 articles a day. So we are, we are operating at a, at a much larger scale and we're global. And so we are deeply concerned about the use of AP information to inform, you know, large language models. I think, you know, in our, what we do now, if somebody uses a photo and doesn't license it is, you know, we, I think we go to the door four times. The first time is, hey, we see you're using our content. Would you like to license that content? You know, the second time is you need to stop using this content. (laughs) And the third time is like, we are going to, you know, there will be action taken you know, like this third warning, and then fourth is is that you need to pay up, and we're going to take you to court. So I think like there's those are four lengthy steps that we intentionally take. We can't sue everyone. Lawsuits are expensive. They take a long time. The outcomes are uncertain. And so I just know that you know AP is very vested in protecting its intellectual property and um, being able to put journalists in spaces and uh, places that others won't go. We were the only two. We were the only news operation that had two journalists on the ground in Mariupol, for example, the photographers, you know, that is not free to do. It costs money and anybody who uses our content needs to license it. So I think, you know, our encouragement would always be the licensing model and the four knocks before anything would happen because it's just it's a lengthy process with uncertain outcomes.
2: Yeah, I think reimagining the way maybe content is being licensed with generative AI coming into the mix now, because they've already been created, these models, and we have no
1: way to handle it right now. Well, and there's interesting research that came out in the last two weeks called model collapse, where if AI is trained on other AI written materials, then it somehow becomes less of itself and kind of falls apart. And so I think... If that research bears out and is true, you know, human written content will be more valuable than ever because they need to feed on that content in order to develop and grow and learn and to produce results that are close to human sounding rather than this stilted robotic language. So that to me is interesting and I think a space to watch. Absolutely.
2: And one thing that I was quite interested in your background before you worked on AI, you were working with First Draft in the misinformation space. And so from combining that experience and now with generative AI coming to the mix, we've seen all of these examples. Where do you see that misinformation landscape heading towards and how are we going to be able to cope with that?
1: You know, I think what generative AI will do, I think, for misinformation is it will enable things to be created cheaply. But the distribution mechanism is still a cog. So they still have to figure out ways to distribute it and a mechanism to make that distribution happen quickly. So I'm not saying we're out of the woods or that everything is good on this topic. I think we are going to see a lot more slush and a lot more um, problematic content. I'm worried about generative AI videos and photos around the election for candidates to use it in a way that is really disturbing. Um, So in terms of like building even more uh, hyperbole into their into their um, attack ads and things like that, because it will be free mostly to use and they're going to have to uh, deploy real experts in that. That said, for a lot of uh, people running campaigns, maybe their, their campaigns will be less costly because of it. I don't know. Well, that's actually a good way to see about the opportunity
2: we can stop it at the distribution. So there's still hope of like misinformation, not just flooding everywhere, if we can stop it right at the distribution points. This has just been fascinating with all of your experience so far delving into it. Oh, one of the final questions I have to kind of wrap up our conversation is, Looking into the future, how excited are you for AI? What's the most promising aspect that you're seeing in how generative AI could possibly change the way we're consuming news? And what are you excited for?
1: Well, I'm excited for the next year. Because I think we're going to see enormous creativity and innovation, especially at the local level, for how we reimagine news. We see news maybe as an 800-word article and, and a headline and and all of that. But it's like, but is that what is needed in the market now? How are people how are people wanting information, and can we deliver it in a way in which people want? And I think like the search engines have asked themselves that very same question: Can we do better than blue links? And the answer is yeah. We can. And so now we're going to change how people have searched for the past 25 years. So I think news ought to take a look at that as well and and to um, and to maybe see, are we delivering information in how people want it? And I think, yeah, I think the next year will be enormously creative, not without its trouble spots. And we'll see in the election in terms of the quantity of misinformation and see if there are coordinated networks to help with that distribution cog. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm a curious student always. I really like innovation. That's what led me to the work at First Draft. I had never I didn't know that you could figure out how um, a piece of content arrived on the Internet and learning all of those magical tools was a lot of fun. And being able to teach that then to other journalists was fun. And then when AI came around, I was very eager to learn more. and, And I learned something new every day on the topic. Yeah, there's a
2: lot of learning I feel like we'll be doing over the next few years with AI. So it's kind of exciting and exciting ideas that you've brought forward over here. So thank you so much for sharing all of these insights and the amazing work that AP is doing uh, with especially helping local newsrooms bolster up their AI efforts. It's been really great to know. And thank you for just joining me on the Newsroom Robots podcast and talking about all of this. Thank you for having me. That was Amy Reinhardt, the Senior Product Manager of AI Strategy for the Associated Press. Since recording this interview, AP has signed a two-year partnership with OpenAI, the developers of ChatGPT. This agreement allows OpenAI access to AP's rich archive of news stories going back to 1985, while in return, AP gains the advantage of OpenAI's technological capabilities and product expertise. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.